Alrighty, we are going to get started. How's everybody doing out there? Hope it's doing well. Uh, my name is Andrew Kuhn, of course, sitting alongside my, my co-founder here at Focus Compounding, Mr. Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for asking. We hope everyone's having a good day. You are listening, of course, to the podcast, on uh, whether on Jeff's blog, on the website, or on iTunes. Mm -hmm. um, if you are listening to it on iTunes, this is the podcast part of our business. We also have an investing website called FocusedCompounding.com where individuals, Jeff, myself, we blog about all things investing related, really more so idea centric, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, it's more of a value oriented, value and quality oriented website. We don't have mm -hmm. a lot of option traders or future traders talking about their their two-day trade or whatever it's more long-term mm -hmm. oriented hence the name focused compounding yep. uh, so be sure to check us out on the website if that's something you'd be interested in and of course if you sign up be sure to use the promo code podcast to get ten dollars off the subscription price forever and uh, without further ado we are going to get into the podcast today we are going to be talking about the two kinds of value investing okay that's something that uh, you thought would be a good topic to talk about. So what do you think, what do you mean by that when you say the two kinds of value investing? Well, it's actually something you said in an earlier podcast. Yep. We're answering some uh, questions in a Q&A uh, podcast, and uh, you said something about the difference between sort of Warren Buffett investors and Ben Graham investors. Okay. You know, yep. uh, sort of investors that focus on the moat mm -hmm. and investors that focus on cheapness, right? Yeah, I call it like a category A and category B. Okay. So sort of the way that I think about it is some there's some businesses where you're just kind of looking to, they're growing so quickly internally, I mm -hmm. guess you could say, and you're so focused on the business moat or longevity of it, whatever, that you just kind of buy and just hold forever. And then there's other companies that um, may be trading cheap on like a short term, like a time arbitrage type investment. Maybe okay. it's trading... Uh, cheap relative to the market or it's trading below book value. And I think you could also make a lot of money um, doing it that way as well. So that's sort of what I think about when mm -hmm. I say like category A and category B. I don't know if there's a better way, or I guess I just, I always say just kind of go where there's value, but that's mm -hmm. sort of the way I think about it. How do you think about it? Is sure. That, so yeah. So like, I think that that does happen um, that people often divide themselves that way. I don't know if it's so much, there's two kinds of value investing or there's two kinds of value investors. Mm -hmm. I'd say it's, um, that the issue here is that you have people who focus on one or the other and sometimes don't see the value in the other approach. Um, we do both on our website, and that's something we should be very clear about. It's not just a uh, cheap stock uh, website, but it's also not just a wide moat type uh, website. Mm -hmm. Week to week, I write about a, a different um, uh, specific stock write-up, and often I switch right back and forth between one that's sort of um, some sort of moat and one that looks cheap in some way. Uh, and sometimes it's a mix of both of them. Uh, so like examples from the website would be, um, there's a recent write-up of Booking, which is the old price line. Then individual wrote up. Mm -hmm. Not me, a member of the site. And uh, that's a good example of potentially a moat. It's in a uh, duopoly. And it's something that's growing quickly. The industry will probably grow 10 to 15% a year for the next 10 to 15 years. Mm -hmm. So it's in that same group as like Google and Facebook and those sorts of stocks, which is the uh, category A. So, right. it, yeah. So the, the companies that are going to grow and you're just going to kind of. So do you think you pay higher? Would you pay a higher price for a business like that? Then obviously. Well, so you should. Yeah. Uh, if it has almost infinite returns on capital, especially if it's able to reinvest. And if you have high certainty about that. Yeah. And the certainty thing gets into a different issue. And I think that's really the kind of investor that Warren Buffett is. 
And so he sort of straddles both of those categories. Mm -hmm. Early in his career, he did a lot of the buying cheap stocks. Later in his career, it was all about wide moats. But I think the thing that is true for all of his career is he was much more about making high probability bets, Mm -hmm. highly concentrated, buying the best net nets, buying the best wide moat stocks, never as diversified as Ben Graham was, that sort of thing. So he's more focused on stocks that he thinks have um, limited downside, you know, that he understands well. Well, it's kind of like Joel Greenblatt. He he has said before that his biggest um, investments aren't the companies that he thinks he's going to make the most money on. Mm-hmm. It's the companies that he feels fairly certain that he's not going to lose any money on. That's often true. I would say that's true. Um, and I think it's hard to judge the upside in some stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned before there was a spinoff that I bought into ahead of time, uh, which is Babcock & Wilcox. So it's BWX Technologies is what I own. And um, that stock is now probably... Um, well, if you take out the part that was the other part of the spinoff, um, it, or what I sold that at, the stock that remained has tripled since then. Wow! And it's not like I sat down and said, "Oh, this is going to triple," you know. But it was something that I was very sure of, um, and that it was a really high quality business. It was clearly selling for too little, mm-hmm. so I was sure that the price wasn't too high. It was sort of a normal price for a normal business. And I was sure it was a great business. So it's almost like the saying, you don't need to know someone's weight to know that they're fat. Mm-hmm. Or it's like you don't need to know a stock's exact value to know that <laughs> it's, it's undervalued, I guess. Correct. Say. Yeah. yeah. And that can also be true. Um, last week, I wrote about a stock that's trading at um, less than net cash. So it's trading at 90% or something of net cash. Mm-hmm. So right there, uh, it's cash flow positive. It's making a little money. So you would think it should be worth at least the cash that it has. Sure. Right? So that's another case where I don't know what the upside is. We have some ideas about what it could be, but mostly that post was about, well, here we know what the downside risk is, and then let's talk about what the upside could possibly be. Yeah. And it could be a lot bigger than some of the numbers that we looked at. It's almost like that's just the cherry on, on the top. Yeah. Yeah. So mostly we looked at saying, okay, well, are we sure it's worth net cash? And then is there even 50% upside? Because if there is, but you're really sure of it, that often will get you as good a return as something that seems to have a lot more upside, but is a lot less certain. Mm-hmm. Um, and people tend to prefer more of the lottery uh, ticket type stocks, I would say. That's a, that's an issue that happens. What do you mean by that? The things that you can make a case that they should triple, quadruple, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you're not as sure that they're definitely worth one and a half times what they're at now, two times. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the best stocks for me have been where I'm sure it's worth 50% or 100% more than what it's trading at. I feel really certain of that. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily see a way that's going to triple or quadruple or whatever. It's hard to do that. To know that yeah and if people want to get access to that that stock that jeff was just talking about he wrote it up on our website mm-hmm. uh, that is at focuscompounding.com so be mm-hmm. sure to check that out so what do you you know you sort of talked about warren buffett if he was managing you think a million dollars today do you think he'd focus on the quality side of it no. like the, the type b or or whatever type a or yeah. would you be more so the type b the time arbitrage the ones that are trading the ones that are super that you cheap. just described uh, in the other stock yeah, yeah the ones that are super cheap that's what he would focus on definitely yeah yeah interesting and so in your in your investing do you have a preference to i mean you just said before that the ones that you feel fairly certain on so you own uh, I mean, you've written, and it's very public, that you own NACO Industries. Yeah. So can you sort of describe, that's more so of a cheap company, correct, because of the cash buildup that they were going to have and probably the misunderstood 
newness of the market, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. So that's interesting with all of them. Um, NACO, I think, is people think that I bought it just because it's a cheap stock. Um, the reality is more complicated. It, uh, it's both reasons, both categories. Reasons from both categories is why. So NACO is um, a company that has long-term contracts. The contracts run out of between 13 and 28 years from now. And it's only mind mouth operations, which means that um, the company is uh, has mines that it operates on behalf of customers, basically. And the customers are usually power plants right there. So it's a captive situation. So it's not competitive. If it had been a very cheap stock but very competitive, I would never have bought into it. It was the total lack of competition combined with a decent free cash flow yield and a clean balance sheet, actually some cash on the balance sheet, um, that altogether got me interested. It's sort of like when we talk about net nets or something, and I mentioned that I uh, bought George Risk, a lot of people don't realize, um, they hear it's a net net or that I was trading for less than net cash, and they think that I must have bought it as like a Ben Graham thing. But actually, I thought it was a good business. So mm-hmm. I thought it, I, I just bought it because it was surprising to see on a net net list a good business. Sure. And so the same sort of thing with something like NACO, it's that they have um, customers who, who they're, they're, those are um, cost plus contracts. They're not competitive. So if those customers stay in business, NACO will keep making money. Mm-hmm. Now, if those customers close down, which is the risk, obviously, that the power plant shut down, then there's your risk. Um, but so that kind of thing often trades at a free cash flow yield of you know 5% or something, mm-hmm. and NACO would have been 10% or something like that. Do you think where the market is at today, and of course we don't, I mean, you've publicly written about that you think that things are pricey, right? We don't know how much longer they can stay pricey for or whatever. We're not in that game. But obviously you think that the market's generally pricey. Mm -hmm. Do you think where it's at today, people should focus more so on the type B part of the value investing? So the cheapness side instead of paying up for the quality side? Because, I mean, do you think like in the type A, those stocks, if the market gets cream for example or sells off those are going to probably take the most hit right yeah the, the dam- now i know everything probably goes down if it goes down but what do you think do you think people today should focus more so on the, on the cheap side of things no i think the danger in a bull market is always buying bad stocks or bad businesses that's always the danger ben graham sort of said that one time too and it's absolutely true because they don't keep up uh because you get pushed into doing it because you're looking for something that's not expensive Mm-hmm. So you're looking at the businesses that you normally buy, but they're all too expensive. You can't pay 30 times earnings for something. Mm-hmm. So you try to find the thing that's trading at 10 times earnings or whatever it is, um, or even 15. Mm-hmm. And it's something that's not actually that attractive, but you're doing it just because you need to find a normal price. It's sort of, you see the same thing in bonds, where if bond yields are really low, people reaching for yield might go further and further in terms of um, lower quality. They could go further and further out too, mm-hmm. but but the same sort of thing where they either are taking on interest rate risk or they're taking on um, default risk. Mm-hmm. You have the same sort of thing where people buy uh, worse businesses, and I'd say that's always the biggest danger is is doing that. Do you think younger people should focus more so because they probably have, let's say, a thirty or forty or fifty year outlook, or or they got longer time than mm-hmm. someone that's sixty or seventy right years old? Do you think younger people should focus on the type A? type value investing so the very high quality companies are have extreme 
really high returns on invested capital and is redeploying that capital. It's almost like Amazon at 150 times or sure. 200 times earnings was cheap, you know, mm-hmm. back like uh, 10 years ago or whatever. Sure. I mean, I would do both. Yeah. So I would say that it makes sense to do both. Anything that seems like a really obvious idea mm-hmm. that just hits you over the head, common sense says you should buy this. Yeah. I bought a stock, Activision. I did not hold on to it for the last um, 17 years or so. But if I had, it would have returned 20 or 25% a year over that time. Wow. And so, but you have to remember that that stock was almost a micro cap at that time. Really? Yeah. Wow. So this is now a whatever, one of the the biggest video game yeah. companies in the world. And what do they make, like Call of Duty and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. World of Warcraft. They're now Activision Blizzard. Mm-hmm. So, um, but at the time, maybe it was a $300 million market cap. It was trading at maybe one-time sales. Um, it had a plenty of cash. So it showed up more like uh, the kind of stock that people would say isn't really... Um, uh, it, it, it might get overlooked, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it, it's usually not buying these big stocks. It's not buying Google and Facebook today. Mm-hmm. That's usually what we're talking about if you're going to get really good returns in the Buffett type approach. So if you're talking about finding small things like mm-hmm. that, um, but good businesses, things. I mean, in that case, really what it was is I thought that it was cheap enough, but the industry was really, really favorable. Mm-hmm. I thought that I could see what the next 15 years would be. Yeah, because I was going to say, I mean, how would you know that Activision was going to become you know, what it is today. It was already one of the bigger video game publishers. So that's what... So uh-huh. publishing without um, hardware. Okay. I wanted a company that was involved with publishing but mm-hmm. didn't have anything to do with making hardware mm-hmm. um, for reasons that I won't get into, but just sort of competitive industry things in terms of how I thought the industry would shake out. Yeah. I wanted to make sure it was something that was, in, that was just publishing, uh, developing and publishing. And so your choices were... Of the big ones were Electronics Arts mm-hmm. and uh, Activision. And I liked the management a lot better in Activision. Yeah. So that's what I do. I mean, and, and the sphere of games that Activision's in, I mean, I don't know the business so much today, but it's a lot more than EA, which is Electronic Arts. I mean, a lot of, they do sports, more sports-centric stuff, isn't it? Yeah, well, EA does a bunch of different things. And at the time, it was more diversified than Activision. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it was very popular stock at the time that I bought Activision mm-hmm. relative uh, and that's usually what happens. So even when we're talking about that, we're talking about a Buffett-type stock. Yep. It's buying the number two, the one that's less in favor. Um, it's not betting on the the most obvious one that everyone is mo- that's most popular. Mm-hmm. I didn't see much of a difference between the two. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you look at the prices, people are much more into electronic arts. So do you think the number one thing that people should focus on then is price then? Or I know it's such a, it's such a hard question because it, it depends, right? It depends. Um, I think that it's important to pay a low price. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if I paid a much higher price for Activision, it would have worked out fine too. Um, but I never went into it thinking, here's something that will return 20% a year. Mm-hmm. Now, I did go into it, and not that I could return 20% a year for 20 years, mm-hmm. but I did go in thinking, this could return 15% a year for 10 years. So, and what would you pay for a company like that, like on a multiple basis, if you had just to make it black and white? I don't think I've ever paid more than 15 times earnings for a stock. Okay. So I think that's an issue with me in terms of um, most of the good companies that you're going to see that have a really certain future and that people are really excited about, I'm never going to be able to buy mm-hmm. because I've never stretched beyond that to buy at those prices. Now, I'll buy a stock that has no earnings this year if I think it's trading at 15 times normal earnings or sure. something. You know. <laughs> so I, sh- I shouldn't say that. But when I say that, I mean, it, in my mind, it doesn't have something more than a P of 15. Um, so I think price is important in terms of protecting your downside. Uh, and, but in terms of, 
I mean, I, I would say picking the right industry is very important. Sure. Um, sometimes who the mantra is is important too, though. Mm-hmm. That's also one in terms of capital allocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that was good there. Well, it's different. It's like, are you going to bet on a car maker or are you going to bet on, would you rather bet on like a video game publishing company? Like, yeah, I think even probably 17 years ago, you could have saw what probably would have a better future. Yeah. And I just basically had seen, we knew what book publishing was like. We knew what music publishing was like. We knew what um, movies had been like, Sure, all those things. And we just, you knew that the industry would go along those same lines eventually and mature. Mm -hmm. And today it's not viewed as, then it was, was seen as, sort of a speculative and, and odd thing that way. But now video game publishing is seen in the same way as like a movie studio or something. Mm-hmm. Investors see it the same way. Yeah, it's interesting. And and so of your current portfolio, do they make up more so the type A or type B type investments? Uh, I guess you would say type A in that um, you have... Uh, so, so here's the thing. Uh, about 90% or so of my portfolio is in companies that have almost perfect customer retention. So NACA, we just discussed, has contracts. Um, NACA also has cost plus contracts. Uh, BWX Technologies has um, the Navy and basically keeps all its customers and is cost plus. And so, and then you have Frost and banks tend to keep all their customers. Can you explain cost plus for anyone listening that's sure. not familiar so with that Sure, so cost plus is like, so, so BWX Technologies makes... Um, does different things, but one of the things it does, the biggest one, is it makes nuclear reactors for submarines and aircraft carriers. And um, some companies like uh, Conrad Industries, which is another shipbuilder, um, they do f- uh, fixed cost contracts. So they put in a bid. They say we'll make the ship for two million dollars. If they're wrong and it costs them three million, they lose a million. Mm-hmm. If they're wrong and cost them one million, they make a million. Yeah. But in a cost plus contract, um, you just have your costs and then you bill your customer. On so top it's, just, of that. it's just safer for the company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a sole supplier situation is usually what's happening when, when there's a cost plus mm-hmm. contract like that. So do you like think in both those cases, if you think about BWX technology is the only company that can make, um, yeah. nuclear reactors for ships. Yeah. NACO there's, even though it's contracts. So people think that I bought it because of the contracts realistically, if you built a power plant next to a mine, yeah, that's it's how you gonna, had it set up from the beginning. Sure. That's always how you're going to run it. You're not going to ship in. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think then like the top qualities that you would look for in the type A type businesses, and we say these are the more quality Warren Buffett long-term type businesses or high-quality companies, do you think it's more so uh, predictability, stickage, I mean, it's what Buffett more monopoly-like? Yeah. So it's more yeah. on the moat side of yeah. it. Yeah. It's com- uh, the greatest danger that I'm always afraid of with a stock mm. is competition rivalry sure i mean it's the nature of capitalism whenever a company does exceptionally well there's always going to be competition so i'm always thinking how much can other businesses hurt this company and when i look at the things they put in my portfolio i try to put things in the portfolio that i think other companies can't hurt Mm -hmm. right so generally you can't really take bank customers from another bank if the bank does a bad job they lose customers it's like advertising we talked about that that Mm -hmm. way Generally, people don't uh, leave their ad agency if they're having good experience and try to see all the different options out there. You don't generally leave your bank. And these are business customers. The important part of Ross um, businesses and, is big, pretty big businesses Yeah, in and Texas. when you think about like banks, for example, you have your checking account. Some people have their mortgage through them, their investment sure. account. It's like you're not leaving. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Now, if you have bad experience, you might. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to have uh, prosperity come in and take customers from frost sure. and that's the greatest danger that you're always afraid of mm-hmm. and that's where i look at it and i think that's also even when we were talking about apple 
the thing that really mattered a lot to me was looking at what the retention rates were both for uh, what the customers um, upgrading to the same phone, to the same operating system phone, basically, mm-hmm. were. So I was really interested in how many people who have an Android phone stick with Android, how many who have uh, Apple stick with Apple. Sure. Right? And so when that number gets high, then I feel like that's a totally different business. And I think that's one of the things that Buffett's interested in. Before you knew that people were going to stick with the same um, operating system when they switched phones. Sure. I don't think that you could see it as having the same sort of moat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely interesting. And do you think it's easier on the B side of things or the on the A side of things to earn high rates? Or again, do you think it's more so? It's just it depends. It's easier on the cheap side. Yeah, yeah. Now buying more so like a basket of it, or just focusing, concentrating on the best. Cheapest? You can concentrate too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are dangers because people look to the upside too much when they look at the cheap ones. Because yeah. there are things you can you go, oh, this could go eight times up. Yeah. It could, but you know, uh, people often buy things that are too leveraged. I wrote a newsletter about net nets um, for Guru Focus many years ago, and it was an interesting experience because I'm I the picks that people like to buy were always the worst ones, were always the most dangerous ones, the riskiest ones. They liked things with a catalyst that something was going to happen now. They liked things with a lot of leverage that maybe the upside was big. Mm-hmm. They were bored to death of something that you would say is trading at ninety percent of cash. And it has a decent business. And they'd say, but it, that was, was the case five years That's ago. That's crazy to me. I wonder why. Yeah. So it's, Because they look at it and they say it was the case five years and ago. And nothing changed. Yeah. Right. But like when I talk to you about George Risk, people say nothing changed. It was dead money, whatever. It made 10, 11, 12% or whatever while you held it yeah. during that time. So that's not a bad result that you get. Sure. Um, and you don't know. It might have suddenly gotten, you know, like I said with the um, Japanese net nets, you know, people said you can, no company in Japan ever gets bought out. It's not going to happen. A third of the ones that I bought mm-hmm. uh, got bought out in the first year. So, but until then, it looks like nothing's happening with the company. Yeah. Until you get the buyout offer, and that's what happens with net. That's what happens with really cheap stocks. Sure. Interesting. Cool. Any other uh, things you want to add to the to the topic? No, I would say that um, the important thing is to not be prejudiced against the other yeah. uh, approach. Go where to, the value is, just really. But in not to close off your mind when reading a write up that's about quality mm-hmm. or that's about a cheap stock. Yeah. And that's what I see too much is that people do that, that they, the two camps of value investing can't communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Well, we want to thank everybody for tuning into the podcast today. Um, if you want to get access to ideas of quality and, and I guess more so on the cheap side, which is pretty cool about our website, is that we have both sides of it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of people that write up about that. Um, go to www.focuscompounding.com and be sure to sign up using the podcast promo code, which is podcast, mm-hmm. right? And you get $10 off your subscription price forever as long as uh, as long as the po- promo code is still available. Where can they find you at Twitter? Uh, at Jeff Gann. At Jeff Gann. It's G-E-O-F-F-G-A-N-N-O-N-O-N. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded a little weird coming <laughs> off my tongue. You can find me at Twitter as well at, at Focused Compound. And uh, we want to thank everybody for tuning in and we will see you in the next podcast.